Former U.S. National Rugby Team Captain. Team Captain. Head Coach and General Manager. General Manager. Now, the co-founder and CEO of the New England Free Jacks. Now, now, Full Contact CEO with Alex Magleby. Hey everyone, thanks for joining Full Contact CEO today. I'm your host, Alex Magleby. I'm also fortunate to be the co-founder and CEO of the New England Free Jacks. Joining me today, longtime Dallas Mavs executive, chief revenue officer, former Southern Meth- uh, Methodist University um, student, uh, served on the board of, of SMU, Dallas sidekick legend, most importantly, the first person in history to go back-to-back seasons on Full Contact CEO, our very own Major League Rugby Commissioner, the one and only George Killebrew. JK, we're about to start our fifth season Major League Rugby. Nobody better to to get the wisdom from and the download from than you, sir. Thanks for joining. Hey, great to be here, Max. You had to dig deep in the resume. You got the Dallas sidekicks in there. I love it. Come on, the sidekicks, that's legendary. You're like part of that whole cadre of sports executives that have gone on to do great things who came from indoor soccer of all places in like the late 80s, 90s, whenever that was. Who would have thought that? That's for sure. We we certainly didn't know when we were doing it that we would go on to greater things. We thought indoor soccer may be our ceiling at the time. But uh, yeah, really great group that we worked with there. That's awesome. So quick uh, warm up. We'll do a word game. This is old hat for you. I'll say a word. Just the first thing that comes to your mind. Dallas. Cowboy hats. Punahou. High school to both George Killebrew and Barack Obama. The Mustangs. Uh, SMU and Eric Dickerson. The Mavericks. Wow. Dirk Nowitzki and Luka Doncic. The sidekicks. Tattoo. Cuban. Oh, man, I don't have a word for him. Boss man. <laughs> <laughs> Major League Rugby. Exciting fifth season coming up. We both totally cheated there. I said three words and you said five. This is I know. <laughs> the problem I have. Anytime you can ask my wife, there are no one word answers. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. The future. Rugby in the U.S. Love it. So just catching our audience back up on, George, where you came from, obviously illustrious career that continues as a sports entertainment executive. You grew up in Hawaii. Just quickly go through the Hawaii to university in Texas. To How did you get into sports? Sure. I'll give you the Cliff's Notes version. I grew up in Hawaii, went to a high school by the name of Punahou, uh, which became famous in later years as the same high school as Barack Obama. I was a freshman when he was a junior. And by the way, we're not tight. We're not buddies. We don't hang out. So I get asked that question a lot. Uh, decided to leave the island and come to college here on the mainland in Dallas at SMU. Uh, had a really great four-year experience. Got a business degree from the Cox School and decided to stay in Dallas for my career. Knew I wanted to be in sports. Just had to kind of find a way to break in. And I did so on the indoor soccer side uh, with a team called the Dallas Sidekicks. The Dallas Mavericks had purchased the Dallas Sidekicks and I shot the gap and because I couldn't get in on the Maverick side and got a position with the Dallas Sidekicks and did that for a number of years. Won three championships, by the way, um, with indoor soccer. Uh, then kind of migrated my way over to the Maverick side where I spent 26 years. Uh, got there in 1991. Uh, worked for Mark Cuban the last 20 years. Uh, two kind of NBA finals, one championship. Uh, and then the phone rang one day and it was a search firm looking for a commissioner of major league rugby. 
And I said, I am in. Uh, really, it came through Mark Cuban. Mark had, loves rugby, played rugby at Indiana University. Called me and said, I think you ought to do this. And I said, hey, are you, are you trying to get rid of me? He said, not at all. I just think your skill set uh, might fit in here. And so here we go, moving on to my second year. And here we sit today with the great Alex Magleby having a podcast. See, this is so great. Now that you're commissioner, you can just win a championship every year. It's perfect. <laughs> absolutely. We got, we got our Maverick rings, which were a piece of art and just absolutely beautiful and very expensive. Mark Cuban said to me, well, congratulations. You finally got your championship ring. I said, well, it's actually number four. I have three from indoor soccer. <laughs> it counts, man. It totally, it, it totally counts. That's great. So Major League Rugby, you, this is your second year. We're really, this was your first full season. And just quick by the numbers, there were 99 matches played this year in a pandemic, coming out of a pandemic. None of those were canceled. We had more than 2 million households tune in to our championship match. Uh, we had at the Free Jacks level, we had almost a million households watching our, our national games. That last game that you were at, the last match in, in Quincy, our new home, you know, over 300,000 households. The Rugby Network was started over the last year. There's almost 50,000 subscribers uh, to the Rugby Network. Um, some estimates almost 15 billion in media reach during this last season alone. Walk us through those numbers. How did we get there? What did that look like? Are those good? Help me out. Well, it's not only are they good, they're great. Absolutely. In a, in a year that, you know, most sports leagues were struggling to stay alive and kind of get their content in, uh, the fact we were able to, to get 99 matches in without having to cancel one due to COVID uh, was an amazing accomplishment. Having 2 million people tune in to the finals from the historic Los Angeles Coliseum where our champions in the West, the Los Angeles Guiltinis, took on our champions from the East. Rugby ATL was a monumental moment. Uh, the beginning of the Rugby Network was very significant because on our OTT platforms in the past, we'd been kind of like the least sexy participant on someone else's OTT network. Even though we're so sexy, don't they? can't they see us right now? <laughs> Come on. It was a head scratcher. So what I realized is we got to start our own. And, you know, we, we happened to luckily get to know the guys from the rugby pass that do this beautifully and professionally across the world, except in one place. And that was North America where they wanted to expand. You know, and we sat with the guys when we did this and said, what's it going to look like? How do we define success? And they said to us, you know, if you get 25,000 subscribers in the first year, you're doing pretty well. But we had 25,000 subscribers at the midpoint of the season and ended, you know, close to 50. Uh, so if you look at us by the numbers, it was a phenomenal year. Now, the one number that we, we didn't really succeed as well at, and it wasn't our fault, was, was attendance because a lot of our teams began the season not being able to have fans. So our teams in San Diego, in Seattle, in Los Angeles, in New York could not attend games uh, because of COVID. So really looking forward to next season on that, on that front so we can report really healthy numbers there and um, – you saw it in Quincy at your final home game where you had the largest attendance you've ever had in the history of the Free Jacks. So the future's bright and the numbers aren't insignificant. They are very significant on where this league is going. So fascinating. We have our own direct-to-consumer platform now. 
awesome. What what they also do very well, I think, is uh, is their social media presence, TRN social media presence, MLR, the shield. You know, it's the buttoned up, sometimes cheeky, but mostly just kind of that buttoned up. The, the the beauty of the game and the values of the game where TRN still carries those, but it's like the, the cheeky twin brother. They've hit it perfectly, I think, in terms of the narrative that they um, that they sell on, on social media. Without question. And we'll break this news here on, on this, this podcast and this opportunity. We, we've been informed. We've won two awards that are international awards as it pertains to the Rugby Network. So I'm not going to get into details to, to not blow it. Um, you know, for the announcement, but they've been a great partner and you're exactly right. We're just, they're actually in town in Dallas today. So we had meetings with 10 people from the rugby pass, from the, the backbone that's behind it, which is called ViewLift. Um, and, you know, for launching an OTT network in a pandemic, like what could go wrong, right? Like how about everything could have gone wrong and nothing went wrong. Now we had a couple transmission snafus early on, but if you look at the body of work overall, and that it speaks to the subscriber base, how you get close to 50,000, double the numbers they were, and then the, the humor that they use to try to get people's attention, because that's what we need to do, in my view, in North America, is we're, we're doing a decent job with the rugby faithful, but we got to start hooking in other people. And you do that through quirkiness and humor and laughing at yourself and showing some of the behind the scenes content that makes us unique. Um, and they highlighted that and some of their most liked kind of things in social media weren't necessarily coming out of footage of game matches. There are maybe two of our players showing up in Speedos on mopeds dressed up in costumes for their training. Yeah, you know, That was one of their most liked, you know, uh, offerings. So we're really pleased with that. I'm glad you brought it up because it's not your traditional kind of way to approach the sports consumer with highlights and coaches you know, sound bites and players. It's really more, even our color scheme of, of the, the bright green, you know, it's, it's really more cheeky is a really great word, Max. Yeah. So in, in everybody, you heard that here first on Full Contact CEO, only award winners on this show. <laughs> George does not like anybody but, but award winners, and that's us yes. in Major League Rugby, which is fantastic. Yeah, um, definitely cheeky. And you just said a, a behavior there and a behavior trait is, as we bring people into this bigger tribe, for lack of a better word, that is rugby. And there's some just some behavior norms that have existed. And now we're learning how to share those with a new, very quickly expanding audience. Costumes is one of it. It's going to an event, a festival where people are in different costumes. They're laughing. There's there's contests around those. You'd, you'd, you'd put that in kind of the top three or five uh, behaviors of our experience. And it's great that TRN, but even MLR channels as well are, are capturing that, you know, kind of share those behaviors. You know, what are, what are our languages? Yeah. What we know are in general in North America with sports fans is, is it's not enough just to show the games. They want to know how our athletes live. They want to know what they eat. They want to know how they dress. They, they want to know the behind the scenes look that the average fan maybe doesn't get if you're just attending a game and, and watching what's in front of you and, and the TRN has really hit that need for us. And now we really need to expand that, you know, to make sure it's not just a, a rugby person that's logging on to the rugby network and loving what we're doing, but it's someone that maybe doesn't even know much about the game, but has heard about the rugby network through our multiple awards that we'll be announcing. <laughs> and they jump on and they see that side of it and they see, 
man, these athletes are incredible, but they're also really characters and they're funny and they can laugh at themselves and they, they like one another after the match and all the quirkiness and the, and the, and the legitimacy that we have, they want to see that and, and we can deliver that and we can win at that game more so than a lot of other sports in this country. Yeah. That accessibility piece, that, that relatability piece, like, and, oh, that's what an athlete does. They, they work hard, but they also can have a laugh and sport is just sport. Something you've done going back to kind of shaping the league over the last couple of years and some of the numbers we talked about, you've instilled Rambo into the league and the league office and our ownership group. What, what is Rambo? So the best ideas in sports marketing are not original ideas. They're stolen. So we stole Rambo, which is an acronym for Rugby Marketing and Business Operations from the NBA that has Teambo, Team Marketing and Business Operations. So we stole it, but we made it cooler because our name is cooler, like Rambo is cooler than Teambo. So what it is really is, is just bringing all of our team personnel together and sharing best practices as it pertains to the business. So it's mundane topics like ticket sales sponsorship sales, marketing, digital, game presentation. So we're doing, now that the pandemic's over in a couple of weeks, um, um, a, a, a seminar of sales and marketing, our first ever MLR sales and marketing meetings, a Rambo meeting in Dallas, Texas in a couple of weeks. And we have over 55 league personnel coming in, team personnel, I should say. So that averages about four or five per team. And we're going to spend a day and a half talking about the blocking and tackling of the sports business. No one likes to talk about that. It's, it's, it's mundane, but it is the driver. And then what we're going to do is these 55 or so people are going to know one another. So when they have a need or a question, they can call their counterpart at the Free Jacks and say, hey, I met you in Dallas. I've only known you via Zoom before, but now I know you face to face. We maybe had a, a beer together um, and I have a question. I saw you guys did this really well. Can you tell me how you did it? And then vice versa, the quid pro quo all around the league. And I will tell you that the birthing of Teambo on the NBA level probably 15 years ago was the single most important thing that happened to that league. Because now everyone knows one another. They share information. Uh, that doesn't happen for in, in, in the NFL, for example. That, is, that information is proprietary to that team. And I'm going to share with anybody for the most part. Unless you hire out staff members from those former, yeah. Right. That, that's where you get the intel. But, but to encourage it um, and to train and get all these people that are on the ground level trying to make our franchises successful, to get them motivated, to get them properly trained, to get them fired up and, and, and wanting to stay in those positions, getting them to know all of their other counterparts at the, the other teams in our league is invaluable. Yeah. So first, quickly, blocking and tackling, rucking and rucking and tackling. We, we, yeah. That'll get your IQ question. Yeah, that's it. Okay, good. What I love about Rambo is, is it's competitive because because the league is ranking all the partners. They're they're ranking all of all of the business. And so, where are we in ticketing? Are we top three? Are we where are we um, in audience size on on social? Uh, which is which is fantastic and fun, right? Any anything that's a competition is fun, and that's the great thing about rugby. Everything is a competition. The tackle is a competition. The line out, the scrum. Everything is a competition, which is, which is really cool, and I think our owners really love that 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 whole competitive spirit of it, which is just like the game, and that makes us better. But also, to your point, the sharing of best case practices, or this is a lesson where we you know really screwed up, and 
I, I jump on as probably one of, the, one of the few CEOs to all of the calls as best possible at commercial marketing, academy, and ticketing. And it's so good to hear some of the anecdotes that get shared. Oh, wow, you just you know hit you know almost 2,000 season tickets. What, what was the magic sauce there? Um, it's yeah, really good, and I really appreciate Rambo. You've hit it on the head. Um, you know, you don't have to be brilliant. You are brilliant, but you don't have to be brilliant in this business. You just have to be paying attention to others that are doing it well and kind of swallowing your pride a little bit and, and borrowing the best aspects of that. But the measurement piece of it, because we're all competitive, right? We're in the sports business. We all want to win. So the, the competition of when you, and by the way, you don't want to be sitting next to Mark Cuban at an NBA board of governors meeting when they go up with a slide and you're lower third. Yeah, no. <laughs> if you're in the, you know, the 20 to 30 you know, metrics, like you don't want to be sitting next to the guy because he's going to look at you and go, what are we doing here? You know, and if you are in the lower third, it's supposed to be more of a teaching uh, tool than a, you know, a, a scorecard or a, a report card. If you're in the lower third, you need to ask yourself, who's in that middle third that I can talk to, that I can get to the middle third? And if you're in the middle third on any of these 15 things that we measure in the NBA, how do I get to that upper third? And if I'm in that upper third, how do I stay in that upper third and not let all these guys catch me? But um, it's a really powerful, powerful learning tool. Which is which, which I love and which is so awesome. And I'm really glad that you've brought that and brought that to the league. Speaking of the Mavs, so you guys you guys won a bunch of those awards for sponsorship sales and all, a whole host of things that that um, you've seen. You guys also won the championship, as you talked about. You've now seen an MLR championship happen. What's the secret sauce to win a championship? Tell all, tell all the coaches out there and front offices how championships are won. Well, I mean, every championship in every league probably has a different story. Um, our story was, you know, we had a player that we knew was an MVP caliber type player in Dirk Nowitzki. And so the, on, the, on the team side, it was about putting pieces around him um, to win a championship. And we got close. We got to the finals in 06 doing that, and we failed. Uh, we lost, you know, to Miami in six games. And then really the, the philosophy did not change. You know, he was still in his prime, still playing at a very high level. And we brought in a couple other pieces, and we were able to get back to the finals, which is very hard to do after a five-year hiatus in 2011, um, and ended up winning. So that, that's the on-the-court piece. The off-the-court piece, so, you know, which is really significant to me, is really more of a consistency, a consistency in personnel, your coach, your GM, uh, your key VPs that are running the business. Um, because if you if you believe what I just said, that you don't have to be brilliant to succeed in this business, all you have to do is pay attention. You know, that consistency allows you to get better and better and better each year. And I think we really did build. I don't think we were ready off the court to win a championship in 2006. I know we weren't. And that proved it proved itself for a lot of reasons we don't have time for. But but when we won in 2011, which we were not the better team in 2011, they were. Um, but we had done the things to make sure we were ready to win an NBA championship in 2011. Yeah, and just going back to the earlier point as well, talking about thievery. I mean, rugby coaches or any good coaches are just thieves, and um, I think it's a really, really pertinent point that we're all just learning from each other. And okay, that's great. Take it here. Take it here. So, speaking of the future, now that we're kind of we've got this great collaboration and we're building as fast as we possibly can, plus we get to learn from what all the big leagues have done uh, and what are the other small startups are doing uh, uh, um, sports entertainment startups three years from now, what do you want our fan experiences to look like? What's ideal driveway to driveway? What are we going to be doing for our, our, our audience and fans? 
yeah, you know, we have got to pivot and not just become the highest level of rugby in North America, a professional rugby in North America. We have to become a world-class entertainment company, you know, because, you know, we're, we're doing a decent job getting the rugby faithful to tune in and attend our matches, but we got to be, we got to be wider. You know, these days in North America, if you actually attend an NFL game or an NBA game or NHL or what have you, they have something for everyone. So, you know, regardless of who you are, maybe rugby is always going to be the core product, but, you know, you've got to have something for kids. You've got to have something that are funny. You've got to have halftime performances. You have to have music. You have to, you know, really make the experience from your, when you leave your driveway to when you return to your driveway really on the 20 metrics that we will measure between those two times, you have to rate really high because with the advent of high definition television, you could just stay at home or, and watch it if it's on one of the national games or local games, or you could at your leisure, jump on the rugby network and watch it. So you have to have compelling reasons for people to spend, you know, to get in their cars, put their community together, whatever that is, family, friend group, whatever it is, team, and drive somewhere and attend your game. And so everything you do, uh, all the touch points, food and beverage, atmosphere, um, mascots, uh, opportunities for photos for the kids, balloon animals, face painters, bounce houses, your academy team teaching the young kids how to play the game, touch and feel the ball, autograph sessions, like all of these things are really, really important. And we were not doing that when I got here. And now to the credit of the teams, I think, we had zero mascots when I got here. I think we have eight now. So everybody's paying attention and they're realizing it's important. And we're going to focus on that in-venue experience to make sure we're doing all we can do to make it great. And, and the best result of that is when a family of four is leaving the game in Quincy and you look down at the kid and you say, hey, did you have a good time? I had a great time. Who won the game? If the kid can't answer the question, you're doing your job. Yeah. They have a good time. It's just not always about winning and losing in sports. It's about the experience. And you can't have a great experience if you don't have something for everyone in your stakeholder group. You can't be the guy dragging a bunch of people to something they're not interested in and there's nothing for them because they'll never come back. And if we just focused on that, you take the rugby faithful and they add one or two or three into their group, we're sold out in all our stadiums. Yeah, I think you had once said uh, from ages two to 92, uh, which I thought was, you know, really pertinent piece to that. Just quick correction. Woodgy was always around. Woodgy was just an ice cave and just came out. <laughs> so Woodgy's always been there. He's always been a part of it. What, what other areas have you seen MLR change um, since you were looking into coming on board and then coming on board into where we are today? I, I just think this is the topic du jour. This, this is not a hobby. For, for guys that love the game and made some money and started a, a professional league. It's not a hobby. It's a business. We have to run it like a business and we have to focus in on these key topics that really no one wants to talk about at a high level. Like talking about ticket sales and season ticket sales and the dynamics behind that and the dynamics behind group ticketing. It's not fun. It's laborious. It's the part of the business that isn't fun. But the willingness for all of you, and, and you, I give you a lot of props, not just because I'm talking to you, but from the day that I met you, you already got the rugby side down pat. You've done it your whole career and you're an expert. Now you wanted to be an expert on everything else. And it's your willingness to ask questions and to reach out to other teams that are doing it well and to talk to the league office and talk to Rambo about what you're doing. 
So it's not those teams that have those open mindedness, as your team does, are going to be the ones that are at the upper third of the things we measure because you're taking it seriously. Uh, The teams that are just solely focused on winning a championship and don't think the other things are important are going to have rude awakenings because this is not a hobby. This is not a hobby. This is a business. You've got to fill your stadiums and you've got to have a great entertainment product because what happens and why that's important is that as people are watching on television, whether it be on our nationally televised games on Fox or CBS or on the rugby network, if our stands are full and people are having a great time, guess what all of North America says? They'll say to you, to their friends and family and business, I told you rugby was next. I told you rugby was coming to this country and, and business owners are going to say, are we sponsoring teams? And networks are going to say, are we talking to them about their rights? And families are saying, I want to attend that. That looks awesome. like fun. And, and so that's why it's important. And that's the fun, that that is the most fun part, right? Is is when you and it is fandom. It's it's one fan at a time. But when you see that light bulb or that experience, and suddenly they're like, "Wow, they're watching the sport," and that's a visceral feeling it gets you. But then they're also getting a beer from somebody who's cheering for the other team, and and they're having a good chat. And you know, it's socioeconomically diverse, and it, it's really cool to see people go through that experience. And we've been able to share that a bunch more this year, coming out of the pandemic, uh, heading into the future. Uh, where we've added uh, um, the Dallas Jackals have come on board as our 13th team. Fantastic. What is what is an appropriate expansion strategy and tactics ahead? Where do we want to go with a league in that? Do we, do we stay where we're at? How fast do we grow? Yeah, I don't think there's an easy answer to that, Mags. You know, it's like if you look at the runway to 2031, let's just say, you know, in the, in the coming months we're awarded a, a World Cup in the United States – for rugby in 2031. And I understand we're bidding for others, but that's a 10-year pathway from where we sit today as Major League Rugby to there. And if you added a team or two each year um, on that pathway, all of a sudden we're a 25 to 32-team league in all the major markets in North America, possibly another one in Canada, possibly one in Mexico, if you think about it, possibly one in Hawaii, you know, just really expand our geographic footprint. Um, but it's not, it doesn't have to go down that way either. I think it's more important to find the right groups in the right cities that have the right amount of capital, that have the right stadium plan, that have the right youth rugby and academy rugby plan, and have the right set of people to run it for them more so than just an arbitrary number. And I think of, of the two cities that we're talking to for 2023, they do check those boxes. They've been working on their bids for quite a while. Uh, they just didn't wake up one day and say, let's join Major League Rugby, because we really need those tenants in place you know, before we award franchises going forward. Yeah, and we're, and we're seeing that. We're seeing a hunger for people to well, – There's there's been a curiosity, but now people actually putting together relatively sophisticated bids to try to be a part of Major League Rugby. At the same time, we've also seen other money wanting to come in on the umbrella level at the league level, uh, which is really cool to see that interest started starting to foment as we grow this. You mentioned the World Cup. In the United States, in North America – is that a game changer for us? What? How does that fit into our landscape and our 20-year plan? I think it's it will be a reward to Major League Rugby. Uh, if you think about it, you think about soccer and you think about rugby. So the World Cup of Soccer came to the United States before there was a professional league. So there was no Major League Soccer when the United States hosted its first World Cup of Soccer. And they did that because they realized this was 
the biggest bastion of opportunity geographically to grow the game. And a professional league would be born out of awarding the World Cup to the United States back then. And that's what occurred. So they brought their biggest game to the U.S. shores. Major League Soccer was born. It's going to turn 27 years old this year as we turn five years old this year. Uh, ours is inverted. You know, the professional league is here. Um, you know, we're currently, as we sit today, in seven of the 10 largest markets as measured by Nielsen in the United States. Yep. We're only not in Chicago, Philadelphia, and San Francisco, which, you know, will we'll hopefully be in our plans at some point. So like it's inverted. So we're, we're going to be in, we're already in the biggest markets. We're going to continue to add a market or two on that runway. And we will have, you know, MLR franchises to support this World Cup bid. And so, you know, I, I think it's, I think it was right to do it from an inverted way in rugby's case where soccer was like, hey, the, it's the world's game and we're going to come and a professional league will be born. Um, it's just two different ways of doing it. But I think we, it will be a game changer for Major League Rugby. It'll be a very proud moment. For Major League Rugby, because if we do add those teams on that runway, you know, it'll be because of us, really, you know, in conjunction with USA Rugby and, and all the powers that be. But when you have grassroots rugby and professional rugby being played in 25 cities, we'll just make it up across this country. We'll be ready for a World Cup when it hits the United States shores. Right. And, and so for the next 10 years for us, it's not only audience, you know, via participation model, but creating an audience because it's so it's just great entertainment as you touched on earlier it's kind of what major league soccer learned you know 15 years in it's we don't have to be in the suburbs we can actually just provide a great experience in the city for 20 somethings looking for that experience they had in college or some other you know you know that kind of that tribal feel to it um which is which is super cool so audience is one thing but something we've talked about in the past as well as educating that audience and teaching them about this great game. And we talk about accessibility of the game, which is very cool when you meet the, the players that play and everything else, but the rules are, I mean, it's like Victorian era England rules, you know? So it's, it's um, there's, there's, I think there's a massive education component uh, we have ahead uh, to get just people to kind of understand as fans to understand the game and the nuance of the game and, and all those pieces. How has your education in rugby gone over the last year and a half, two years? Uh, you know, thank you for asking, but um, it's ongoing. Uh, I have a lot of really <laughs> great people around me that, that helped me. Um, I had one player tell me who captained his World Cup team in another country, not the U.S., uh, that he's been playing for 25 years and he still doesn't understand all the rules, <laughs> yes. which kind of made me feel yeah. a little better about myself. Yeah. But um, yeah. it gets better every day. But I tell you, Mags, you know, it, it, it really is important because when soccer came here, I had two boys. Uh, they're a little older than yours, Mags, but they, they played soccer. And so we went to soccer games and we went, they just launched the MLS and it was called the Dallas Burn. And we went to the games and, and my kid would say, well, I don't understand offsides, dad. What is offsides in soccer? And I, I couldn't answer the question. Right. No one wants to be that dad. No. Right? You, know, you want to have the answer. And so the education of our rules, one of our, our, one of our franchises is doing it. Well, it's funny, as I looked at your social media today, a lot of our franchises are doing education. I got to, to get a, you know, a, a Webster's Dictionary definition of what is a mall. Yes. Courtesy of the New England Free Jacks today, which, by the way, I read very carefully and yeah. think that I understand them all. And then read your definition of it and go, I really didn't understand. <laughs> There's nuances within what I understood. Yes. You know, our team in Austin is using its video board that every time there is a ruck, there is a mall, there is a try. They go up with the word. So they're not killing you with audio every time, but eight times a game, the word try goes up there and you have a, a 
Webster's Dictionary definition of what a try is. So if you happen to be there for your first time and your kid is asking you, daughter is saying, hey, what's, dad, what's a try? I don't get it. You know, you can you have a cheat sheet right in front of you, which is their video board. So using our tools, our, our TV, our OTT network, our video boards, our announcers, our players to teach the game and the rules is crucially important. Because I've had a lot of people tell me, I'm watching you on FS2, and I do not know what's going on. Okay, so speaking of broadcast, do we do we create an environment where we're, you know, either via TRN or kind of that Twitch model where there's multiple different broadcasts at the same time for different audiences? And one is, you know, kind of Rugby 101, and maybe one is Rugby 303, and one is in Spanish. And what is our thought process in terms of broadcast? Where, where are we with that? Well, that's... It's a very heady question and really, you know, something that, you know, we're trying to concentrate on today and some of the things that we're not doing right today. But, you know, for sure, broadcast in Spanish, for sure. Like the, the greatest marketing thing I saw in sports was the NFL doing a game on Nickelodeon. Was brilliant. I mean, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't stop. Like I'm a marketer at heart and I'm just like, this is just brilliant. You know, it, it helped that, their lead network owned Nickelodeon, so they're you know it yeah. was it was compatible and compatriotic, but um, all that stuff is on the radar. Along with what other variations of our game should we be playing? You know, when's the women's league coming? When's the sevens coming? Like all that's on the whiteboard, but like we have got to get the core product of Major League Rugby in a really great place before we start kind of branching out on those things because you'll lose focus. If I mandated to our 13 teams that we have to have a women's league up and running by next year, you know, that's unfair because we're still trying to get the core product at home. Right. And once we do that, all that's on the table. The, um, the Americanization of the game and somewhat we were accused of last year because we made some, some changes to the rules, slight changes. Tell us about why we, why we did that. And, and, and what are, what are we trying to accomplish here? Yeah, that was you, not me, as chairman of the competition committee. So if anyone has any complaints about our rules, I'll give you Alex's uh, email after this. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. You know, I, I don't think we did anything radical. and I didn't think we bastardized the game. We literally took some suggestions that World Rugby had already approved, and we, we adapted them for our game. So it, it's, to me, Alex, it's not about the game. The game is, is sacrosanct in certain ways, but it's about the things around the game. That's what's going to get more fans. It's turning, you know, what was kind of just a one-dimensional rugby match that you may see anywhere in the world to having these entertainment components that attract fans. So it's not it's not changing the game or or the or the bastardization of the game by any means. It's not about that. It's adding to the game, taking advantage of maybe some opportunities that World Rugby gave us to make it a little bit more Americanized. But those are tweaks. Those are just little tweaks in the game. Um, that I think help maybe make the American and North American fan base be able to relate to it better. But it's really the tail of the tape is all the things we're going to do differently around the game that sells out our stadiums. Yeah, we're in the business of entertainment and we're storytellers. We're, we're telling a story and we have characters, staff, and most importantly, players and fans are also characters. And, our, and, and one of the things that we're now moving towards as a competition is – names on the back of the jerseys, players, player names. So when you're talking about the, the kid, you're talking about grandma, everybody knows who that number eight was. 
which which I think is is a good move. But for a long time, a lot a lot of us in in the owner circle, were like, I don't know, I don't know if that's going to be a good thing. But it sounds like we've turned that corner with your work. I mean, I think we have. It, you know, Mags, these aren't opinions. This isn't like the world according to George. These are how professional leagues in this country are built. And you know, I, you know, the whole name on the back of the jersey thing. The arguments that I got about that. Um, I just couldn't even believe at the time because one of the, the, the basic premises of if you bring your family to a game, you have to be able to tell them who number eight is, you know, and then, then the yeah. proof in the pudding, our Austin team was an early adopter. I go down to their last game and there's about 10 kids, boys and girls lined up on the fence, yelling the name Mooneyham, yelling at him. Mooneyham. Yeah, yeah. It's awesome. So, you know, making Hero. it hard. Yeah, making it hard for the fan to know who's on your team is just kind of a day one basic thing in sports. You know, we want to we're not trying to create stars. We know this is a team game, but, you know, we want the fans to understand who they are. We want them to call them by their name. The players would like to be called by their name, by the way. No one likes to be called. Hey, you or hey, number one. These are people. So let's and then we want a kid to be able to walk up to Josh Larson and say, Mr. Larson, can I get your autograph? Right. We, we want a connectivity to our players and and we don't in this sport, we don't do it with our coaches. We hide our coaches of the other sports in this country. The coaches are part of the show, yeah. part of the name that everyone knows. We don't do that in this sport. And I'm fighting that battle a bit, too. But we certainly can't do it with our players because they are our product and we have to expose them. If you're watching on TV and you don't know and you have to ask, we're, we're, we're missing the boat. So I think we're getting some adoption there. Everybody is a part of the show is what you just is, is a is a point you're really getting to. Everybody's a part of the narrative. And that's a really important piece. And that's something we work on with our staff. And you can't just be the sponsorship person in the background. We, you actually have to, we, we need to tell your story because there's a lot of other sponsorship people out there or salespeople or people going through an experience that you can share and the, the, the goods and the bads of that experience. And that's what we're in the business of. <laughs> we are storytellers. And you you have taken it to heart, and I give you major props for that. But if you want you want to weave your fans into the fabric of your franchise, because it's just like any other of your relationships, your family, your church, or whatever, you can't leave. If you're an integral part and you're woven in to the DNA and the fabric of your franchise, then they can't leave. Because it's not about winning and losing and not about that. It's that they are a part of it. And the only way they can be woven in is if they're treated like family, if they're treated like they are insiders, they know your stories. And you, you put the storytelling out there, as you just alluded to, and they suck it in. And now they're a part. And it's really when you create communities that way, and that's what these are, you can call them fan bases, call them whatever you want to. But when you create these communities, it's very hard to leave. And the one thing I will tell you that has amazed me about Major League Rugby is you go on our social sites and all of our Twitter and our Instagram, our t- you know, the TikTok stuff we're doing, and you read the comments from our fans. We have like a 99% you know, uh, rate of acceptance. If you go on any other league in this country, you're lucky to get 50%. Most of the fans are complaining about something. All of our fans for the most part, are just cheering for us. Way to go. We're proud of you. We love the Rugby Network. Congratulations. This is awesome. Rugby is coming to North America. I have never seen anything like it in sports. 
because usually if there's a polarizing issue that makes the fans jump on and be haters about something. So we have this opportunity. So why are we not embedding these people into our DNA and our communities so they can never leave? That's the question we should be asking ourselves every day. Yeah, well said. You know, we're, we're lucky in New England that there's just such a, a great group of, you know, friends, friends of, of the Free Jacks, basically, who really drive it. You know, you got fans like Spider and the Jacks Rangers and the First Regiment, and they're awesome. And they're what make it or break it. Like, they're the ones who give the spirit and energy to our experiences that attracts others to it and really make the players want to want to play to their very best. And that's been such a compelling experience for us to see and uh, and to be a part of. Well, what you've done is just before we leave it, uh, at that last game in Quincy, you know, you shared with me you were a little concerned. You know, you've moved stadiums. Will everyone show up? Well, as I went around and talked to people, I said, what do you think of the move? They're all like, well, you know, I love it. Like, it's better. You know, we have a video board. And, and not there's not one person that said, well, geez, you know, it's a little less convenient for me. Yeah. And then you have these entertainment groups and, and those people that you just, you know, talked about, Jack's Rangers and the regiment. And, you know, you're giving them a piece of the ownership, not literally, but you're giving them the rights to weigh in. Right. Yeah. And they, they will never leave you. They will never leave you. They are in. You treat them like family. And that's what's fun for me at games is to go around and talk to people like that that are all in. You know, and you're going to get your best feedback from them, too. So when, yeah. you, when you screw up and you will screw up, they are going to let you know. Because oh, they, they let us know. Yeah, in a good way, though, you know, because they're, they're speaking on behalf of a large group of fans who are deeply passionate about the brand and the experience. And so they, they give very good advice, um, which is very helpful, certainly. It's a very good point. Speaking of creating audience, uh, gaming is the other stool to this, you know, gambling and sports betting. And is there a move uh, at the league level to go in that direction? Yeah, I think, you know, you, you it's one of those things where you got to crawl, then walk, then run. Um, I'm not sure we can run in the gambling space as it sits today. I think in the gaming space, we can. And I think that's where we'll probably, you'll see us start. Um, but th that is where... Um, you know, it's moving. This the, the gambling piece of sports has become a huge revenue opportunity. Oddly, in the 13 cities that we play in, there's only one uh, that has legalized gambling. Um, that's in New York. So, um, we're as you talk to some of those, um, you know, people in that business, they're they're watching Major League Rugby. But the fact that you can't place a bet in 12 of our states uh, is a bit of a hurdle for them. So, we'll continue to watch it. We're you know, the, the first thing you have to do is you have to put in some pieces of safeguard. Um, you have to make sure your stats are really top notch. You have to put in this, you know, the, this authenticity piece um, and make sure you're really confident um, in your referees and, and everything before you take that step. And we'll take it at some point. I'm, I'm not sure we're in a major hurry on the gambling piece because we're really not ripe for it yet. Yeah. Now, there is a, by the way, there is a lot of gambling that does go on around Major League Rugby. There's I was told 70 or, four, 70 or so bookmakers across the world, uh, which really surprised me. Uh, but right. the handle is very small. It's betting a couple dollars here. Um, so it's not like we're missing out on a big piece of revenue as, as a piece of that. But we'll continue to watch it as it evolves and, and would love to, you know, we, we would love the marketing piece of it. You know, you look what, what DraftKings, for example, does for the NFL and other major properties. Um, just the, that mouthpiece and that marketing piece of it is something we're watching pretty closely. Very cool. 
I think I think just yeah more opportunities that we can create in time that are safe uh, for everybody involved, uh, uh, players, staff. You mentioned the refs, but also our our youth is a really important piece to our initiatives and just making sure we're really clear and clean about how that may or may not unfold. So speaking of how it unfolds, twenty years from now, we're sitting and we're looking back, and what does this look like? Well, you know, hopefully we're at a World Cup match in twenty years. You know, in the U.S. on the U.S. soil and. One of our, our cities that are, is bidding, you know, to be a host. And hopefully we're a 25 to 35 team league uh, with, like we talked about a bit, a, a better reach outside of the Continental 48. Um, another couple teams in Canada, you know, maybe moving in the Pacific towards Asia, where we know rugby is going crazy. Um, yeah. Moving into South America and places like Mexico and Argentina that, again, the game is, is, is growing and is healthy. And, you know, the sky's the limit. You know, and I think if you were to ask another sports league where they sit in 20 years, I bet they'd have a really hard time answering that question. Yeah, I, I really do, because ours is really, you know, if the World Cup bid comes through for 31, all of a sudden we're on the clock where there is an actual 10 year date from now that we are moving towards, um, which is really exciting. Instead of saying, what's well, a three to five to seven year plan? Like it's a real to me, a little bit of a cop out uh, on leagues. Let's, let's write a three year plan like. How do you know? Like, you know, our three-year plan looks incredibly different if we don't get the 2027 or 21 or 2031 World Cup. Like, it's incredibly different, right? If, but if right. we do, it's incredibly different. And, you know, there are a lot of variables. So, you know, I just think, you know, as you look at our numbers and you talked about them right on the onset and asked if they're significant, they're hugely significant. Because if we can continue to make those jumps year over year, those type of percentage jumps, then we know we're going to yeah, massive. And I think, yeah, you think if, if 20 years from now we're sitting here going, thinking about the World Cup 10 years from now, if that's what happens, how important our under 16 academy teams are, our high school coaches are right now for that, you know, 29 call it for the Women's World Cup and 31 for the Men's World Cup. That work has to be be done today. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And then, you know, 20 years from now, we've got sold out stadiums of, of 20,000 with filled with really good people who are off building better communities because of their experience with, with our brands and, um, and all, and all the things that being a part of rugby and, and, and major league rugby is about, um, rapid fire. Are you ready? I don't know. Last time it was kind of scary. Yeah, it can, it can be scary because besides the free jacks, of course, you know, this is, they're all, that's caveated, of course, in all of these questions. Sure. Yeah. Most enjoyable Major League Rugby venue to visit. For me, um, last year, having the finals in the historic LA Coliseum was special because I grew up in Hawaii as a USC fan. Okay. So obviously that's the home of USC football. And I've always had a really high opinion of that. And so being in that USC locker room, which I've never been before in my life, but it was actually the LA Giltini's locker room and seeing all the pictures, and everything. That was a pretty cool moment for me. That's really cool. And you're saying that caveated, of course, besides your experience, July 18th in the city of presidents in Quincy, Massachusetts, watching the free Jacks. You said I couldn't say free Jacks. Yeah, right? Your last game was, was a highlight of my year too. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> it was great to have you. Uh, who is the MLR Luca Doncic? Did I say his name right? Did I even say that right? It's, yeah, it's pronounced Doncic, so you're right on. Um, you know, I'll give you a couple names that I saw, and you're, you're better at this than I, but, you know, I've talked about one of them already. Connor Mooneyham's a really interesting young man in Austin. You know, we had him on our draft show. He was awesome. And he was awesome. Like, I'm like, yeah. this guy, what can't the guy do? So I'm going to say 
Connor Mooney have? I'm, I'm going to say someone that is in the current draft, uh, this Tavite Lopetti, mm-hmm. uh, the young man that's already an Eagle that was drafted by Seattle. Yeah, um, I'm interested in looking at, you know, seeing him. We'll take a free jack too. How about Justin Johnson? You know, college All-American, national champ. Someone Fantastic. told me like yes. 3.99 GPA. AJ's a great, yeah. He's going to be a future very good business executive or whatever he decides to do. He's savvy. He's smart. He works hard. Uh, he's he's personable. Yeah. He's, I'll he's, stick with those, those three. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. Who is the MLR Mark Cuban? Well, there's no question about that. That is the owner of the LA team, Adam Gilchrist. Uh, they they both have very similar traits, good and bad. Um, you know, but that's it's definitely him. You know, I, I respect both of them greatly. And Mark, you know, all those years working with Mark, you know, he would say some things that you thought were outrageous, but then when you went home and kind of thought about them, they made some sense. You know, kind of a visionary, looking forward. You know, he's trying to lecture me about a new thing coming up called Facebook. Uh, 20 years ago, and I was telling him what I knew who was, and no one. We still have yeah. to put billboards. And, yeah. and Gil Chris has a lot of those qualities too. So I would say those two remind yeah, and me. And I really appreciated you know uh, working with him at our last board meeting and having him there. That was that was important. Favorite nickname in the league? Oh, without question, is the Butcher <laughs> Dylan Fawcett, man, my guy Dylan. I, that's the greatest nickname ever. It's like if we were really in, in real time and marketing ourselves like the big leagues, yeah. we would have a whole line of the butcher Halloween costumes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Every like, kid in the country wants to go as Dylan Fawcett. There, you like you look at experiences that we can learn, learn from as WWE, not only the show that we mentioned earlier, but just the, the the creating the narrative around character and like how important nicknames are to representing that. You know, who is this person? Um, yeah, the butcher. That's that's a fantastic one. Um, this is my favorite. My last question. If you were running the free jacks today, what would you do? Well, I would, I would at the end of every day, ask myself and ask my staff, what have we done today to make sure next year we are playing in a great stadium that is sold out. That is a great entertainment experience. I would ask myself that at the end of every day. And then I would get granular about some of those, those yeah. columns. So did we sell four to eight season tickets today? Today. And, and then again, tomorrow. And then again, the next yeah. day. Ten and, is, yeah. and which is a very measurable metric. So yeah, that's our, our, our goal is 10 a day on a, on a weekday. Yeah. yeah. That's great. So you're yeah. doing that. And yeah. then you're posting it somewhere in the office and you have the tally board and you know that this person's ahead because they've done this. And so it's, it's very visual. And then on the game experience, um, you know, you ask yourself at the end of every day, what have we thought up today that's going to make the fan experience better when they get here? You know, and, and then looking at a historic stadium like the one in Quincy, you know, what cosmetically are we doing there? What are we doing to a facility that's traditional uh, to make it more fun and more modern and more have the bells and whistles of a brand new facility? That's what I'd be asking myself at the end of every day. That's some of my favorite calls. Tuesday morning, I have our event experience call. And because you just get a brainstorm about the many varied and unusual and then kind of get to the ones that really stick. And yesterday's hot topic was hot tubs for our APRE rugby um, and how we're going to actually make that work and how do we make sure that that passes health standards. And, you know, people are going to be able to win 
being able to hang out in the hot tub for the match, which is really cool. I, I was super excited. <laughs> I love that. I yeah. love that. And, and minor league baseball's done it for years. Yeah. You know, it doesn't have to be an original idea. Check it out. Like, you know, it's happening and it's, and it's relevant. Okay. It's, yeah. You need that. <laughs> exactly. And which concerts for which theme and who's going where. And I was super excited. George, uh, always fantastic uh, to catch up. Um, your insights have, have really helped us certainly here at the Free Jackson at the league level. And looking forward to uh, continuing this journey with you. Thanks for joining uh, Full Contact CEO today. Mm-hmm.